You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Tuesday, May 16th. Coming up today. Doubts on the dead. Speaker McCarthy says he's nowhere near a deal with President Biden. The U.S. prepares to buy more oil to replenish the strategic reserves. A top Fed official favors pausing rate hikes. And sources say a mega deal in the biotech industry will be challenged by regulators. Former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani denies sexual assault allegations. Plus, a gunman kills three people while randomly shooting in a New Mexico neighborhood. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stanshower in sports. The Yankees won in Toronto. The Mets lost in Washington. It's down to the Final Four in the Stanley Cup playoff. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. All eyes are back on Washington today for a second round of talks on the debt ceiling. With the clock ticking toward a potential government default, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he is nowhere close to a deal with President Biden. We only have so many days left. The president decided to wait 100 days before he would negotiate. He treated this the same way he treated the border. He wanted to ignore the problem. Speaker McCarthy says staff-level talks have not been productive. The president is insisting on a clean debt ceiling increase and leaving talks on spending to the budget process. But former White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney says it seems there's never a right time to talk about spending in Washington. Apparently it's not when we do a budget because that leads to a government shutdown. We can't do that. We can't do it when we have debt ceiling because that leads to default on the debt. But when is a good time? It doesn't seem there's ever a good time in Washington, D.C., for some people at least, to talk about spending less. A lot of folks never want to have that discussion. And that's what I think frustrates a lot of Republicans is, look, we, we get it. We'd rather not talk about it here. We'd rather talk about it on a, on a regular day. But no one talks about it with us. Former White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney spoke with our Washington correspondent Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the show weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Nathan, the U.S. is already paying a price for its failure to raise the debt limit. That's the word from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. In a letter to congressional leaders, Yellen said, quote, We've already seen Treasury's borrowing costs increase substantially for securities maturing in early June. Yellen says that's the time when the Treasury risks running out of cash for its obligations. While the debt ceiling negotiations continue, Karen, the U.S. is buying more oil. The Energy Department's preparing to purchase up to 3 million barrels of crude to refill its strategic petroleum reserve. 
Reserve. The country's emergency stockpiles at its lowest level since 1983 after releasing more than 200 million barrels to curb high energy prices last year. And checking prices right now, NYMEX crude is up 12 cents at $71.23 a barrel. Well, turning to the economy now, Nathan, there are more signs the Fed may hold off on more rate hikes. We caught up with Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic. In today's environment, where there's so much uncertainty in the economy, I don't think we can really rule out anything. If I had to have a vote right now, I'd probably vote to hold. Uh, but we got two more inflation readings. We have a jobs report that's got to come out. There's a lot more information we're going to have as to what's going on. And Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic made the comments in an interview with Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Stay tuned for more of that conversation coming up shortly on Bloomberg Daybreak. Now, under the equity markets, Karen, where we're finding out what some of the biggest names on Wall Street have been doing with their money. Bloomberg's John Tucker joins us with details. John. Yeah, Nathan, required quarterly reports filed with regulators show Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway made a bet on Capital One Financial during the regional bank turmoil. It may have paid off. Capital One surged as much as 9.6%. Overall, Buffett was a net seller of stocks in the first quarter and pocketed $10.4 billion. Michael Burry, the money manager made famous in the big short, now has a big long when it comes to China. He boosted bullish bets on e-commerce giants JD.com and Alibaba Group. He made those bets even as other hedge funds cool on China. And the filings also show activist investor Nelson Peltz recently adding to his stake in Walt Disney after calling off a proxy fight earlier this year. In New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, John, thanks. Meantime, the mood among global fund managers appears to be souring. According to Bank of America's latest survey, investors are flocking to cash amid concerns that a recession and credit crunch are looming. The sentiment among fund managers in May deteriorated to the most bearish this year. 65% of survey participants say they now expect a weaker economy. Well, this morning, Karen, a mega deal in the biotech industry is in jeopardy. Amgen's $27 billion agreement to buy Horizon Therapeutics will be challenged by federal regulators. Sources say the Federal Trade Commission is expected to file a lawsuit today to block the purchase. It'll argue the tie-up would hamper innovation and slow the pace of drug development. Shares of Horizon are down 18 percent in early trading. Well, another corporate news, Nathan. Wells Fargo has agreed to pay $1 billion to settle a shareholder lawsuit. Plaintiffs accuse the bank of making misleading statements about its compliance with federal consent orders. That was in the wake of the 2016 scandal over opening unauthorized accounts. Elsewhere in the banking industry, Karen, more job cuts may be on the way. Bloomberg News has learned Morgan Stanley's considering a 7% cut to its Asia-Pacific investment bank. Deal-making slowed in China due to weaker economic growth and worsening U.S. relations. The cuts are part of Morgan's plan to reduce about 3,000 jobs globally by the end of this quarter. And finally, Nathan, Elon Musk is being tied up in controversy surrounding Jeffrey Epstein. The Tesla CEO is being issued a subpoena as part of J.P. Morgan's lawsuit over Epstein. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. This comes from the U.S. Virgin Islands, where the U.S. claims J.P. Morgan Chase knowingly benefited from Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking operation. The court papers say the government had reason to believe Epstein may have referred or attempted to refer Musk as a client. Several other billionaires, including Google co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin, have also been issued subpoenas. The paperwork asks for any documents regarding Epstein's involvement in human trafficking. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Day break. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. 
Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Parents and school children in New York City are expressing their concerns about the city's plan to temporarily house some asylum seekers at school gyms as busloads of migrants keep arriving in the city. While some parents say the migrants need help, they are concerned about safety. This woman lives near PS 188 in Coney Island. Why don't they put them in Gracie Mansion? You're looking someplace to put them? Put them in the people who are elected, who put this in place. Put them in their backyards because you've dumped on us long enough. About 75 adult migrants are staying in the gym that is not connected to the school. Attorneys for Marine veteran Daniel Penny are defending his decision to put Jordan Neely in a chokehold on a New York subway train earlier this month. Neely, who was homeless, was later pronounced dead. Penny's defense says Neely had been threatening passengers, but prosecutors say there was no indication Neely was violent. Meanwhile, a legal defense fund for Penny has surpassed $2 million with donations from Kid Rock and endorsement from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Police in Farmington, New Mexico, say it appears an 18-year-old gunman who shot and killed three people and wounded six others fired at random as he roamed the neighborhood. Authorities say it appears the suspect fired at least three weapons, including an AR-style rifle, shooting at homes and cars. Farmington, New Mexico Police Chief Steve Hebby. It's difficult to understand how something like this happens, but we are doing the best that we can to piece through and talk with family members of the suspect. Chief Hebby says the gunman was shot and killed. Rudy Giuliani is denying sexual assault allegations in a new $10 million lawsuit. The former mayor of New York City is also accused of harassing a former employee. Noelle Dunphy claims she has audio recordings to back up her claims. Two staffers for Virginia Democratic Congressman Jerry Connolly were attacked by a man with a baseball bat in Connolly's district office. Sergeant Lisa Gardner of the Fairfax Police. We found two victims. Um, they sustained non-life-threatening um, non uh, injuries, and they were both transported to local hospitals. Sergeant Gardner says the suspect is in custody. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg Nathan. Thanks, Michael. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports Update, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John Stashauer. Good morning, Nathan. The Yankees went to Toronto with a record of just 3-9 and nine in series openers. First of four with the Blue Jays, second batter of the game. Swing and a high drive. It's right field and pretty deep for Springer. He's going to turn and watch, and it's gone. A home run into the elevated Yankee bullpen and straightaway right. Aaron Judge has gone yard here in the top of the first off Alec Manoa. It is home run number nine, and the Yankees are in front one to nothing. On WFAN, three batters later, a Willie Calhoun two-run shot. Judge hit another solo shot, eighth inning. That one went 462 feet to straightaway center, so four homers. In the last three games for the American League's all-time single-season leader, the Yanks led 7-0, held on to win 7-4. Mets lost in Washington 10-3. David Peterson's now 1-6 with an 8 ERA, and the Mets have lost 15 of their last 21. Haven't won a series in a month, and this next series won't be easy, hosting Tampa Bay, who comes in with a record of 31-11. Justin Verlander on the mound tonight, his first city field start as the Met. NBA and NHL playoffs both down to the Final Four. The NBA's West Finals start tonight in Denver. Nuggets and Lakers 
Nuggets have never played in the NBA Finals. They are 0-4 in this round, and three of those losses have been against L.A. The East Finals start tomorrow in Boston. Celtics and Heat. Dallas Stars into the Stanley Cup West Final beat Seattle in Game 7, 2-1. Will now take on Vegas. NFL broadcasting news. Matt Ryan says he's not necessarily retiring after 15 seasons, but he is joining CBS as an analyst. And the NFL says one of the wild-card playoff games will be aired on Peacock, NBC's streaming service, so it won't be on free TV. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. There is no sign of rate cuts in the near term. That's the word from Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic, speaking with Bloomberg's Michael McKee about monetary policy, inflation and the recent banking crisis. Bostic says there's still a ways to go to tame price pressures, and he hinted at what the Fed's next move might be at next month's FOMC meeting. Let's listen in to that conversation now. Headline CPI and core CPI have come down from their peaks, but they seem to have kind of stalled out. The Atlanta Fed has an underlying inflation dashboard that shows a bunch of other measures of inflation, and a lot of those are worse now than they were a year ago. So has the Fed done enough? Well, first of all, thanks for being here. It's really good to have Bloomberg as uh, an attendee at our conference. This is a really good group, and your team uh, really contributes a lot to that. And when I think about the trajectory of inflation, uh, I think that we've made a, a really good progress on it. If you think about where the economy was and where inflation was last summer compared to where it is today, um, we've seen really positive things happen. We're not at the 9 and 10 percent levels. We're in 4.5 to 5 range. Now, now, look, that's still twice, two times what our target is. So there's still a ways to go. But I do think that we've seen a lot of uh, some of the froth uh, really um, come out of the inflation measure. Now, one of the things I look at, one of the measures I try to keep track of is the number of goods in the basket of this that's used to calculate the CPI that are showing inflation above 5%. Uh, right now, in the latest report, that came under 50 percent. Less than half now are in that r range. Or at one point, it was 70 or 80 percent. So I think we're seeing that breadth narrow, and that's a really positive sign. So I think we are starting to see uh, our policies really work. But do you rule out any more additional rate increases? No. Oh, no. Look, in today's environment where there's so much uncertainty in the economy, I don't think we can really rule out anything. Uh, look, I think we are in a place now where uh, we've been in restrictive territory for something like six to eight months. That's about the time you'd expect to see our policies start to bind on the economy. And when I talk to businesses, they tell me they're starting to feel that bind, and that's a really positive thing. Uh, but as you know, we've had surprise after surprise after surprise over the last few years. and 
most of them have been to the negative when it comes to getting closer to our inflation target. So I've got to keep that on the table for sure. Uh, but right now, I'm, I'm feeling like let's, let's see how our restrictive policy is working, and that'll give me a sense of uh, what our next move needs to be. Well, you still have a PCE inflation report and a CPI. We've got two more, exactly. Before exactly. your next meeting. Uh, what are you thinking now, though, uh, for uh, the June meeting? Well, if, you, if I had to have a vote right now, I'd probably vote to hold. Uh, but as you noted, uh, we, got, we got two more inflation readings. We have a jobs number, a jobs report that's got to come out. There's a lot more information we're going to have as to what's going on. Uh, but again, the folks I'm talking to, the businesses across the 6th District, and even in our survey responses, they're all telling us that there is a lot of, of uh, slowdown that is, that is on the way. And uh, that really gives me some comfort that, that uh, we're, we're kind of in a place where we can let that play out, uh, and then we'll see where we, what we need to do at that point. We are speaking with Rafael Bostic, the president of the Atlanta Federal Reserve. Uh, you're talking about what the businesses are telling you. What are they saying about their pricing power and their plans to use it or not be able to? So, you know, it's really interesting. Through most of the pandemic, our business contacts have said, you know, if we needed to raise prices because our costs are for input were going up, they could just pass that through and the consumers were accepting that. Um, we're, I'm hearing much, much less of that now. Uh, and many of the businesses and the, the people in, in the marketplace are telling me um, they're pretty much at the limit. And their ability to, to continue to raise prices and pass through those higher costs is far degraded, in part because consumers have become a lot more price sensitive, uh, which, again, is I think this, these are the things that we'd want to see if we were uh, getting to a place where the economy was moving back to balance, uh, which then would get us to that 2% target. So um, pricing power is not not nearly as, uh, as clear and as ruthless as it has been. I think that's really positive development. What about uh, on the employment side, uh, Fed forecast that 500 basis points of tightening should be raising the unemployment rate. Instead, it's gone down. Uh, what are they saying about their plans for labor? Well, I would say two things on this. So first, everyone is telling me that their labor market experiences, their ability to hire, and their turnover internal to their businesses is far better than it was last summer. Now, it is not, it's still elevated and tougher than it was before, but there has been progress made. Uh, the second piece to this, though, is that we just came through a pandemic where many families are thinking about how they're going to work. Uh, many, many employees are thinking, like, what is my connection to the labor market? We had all, the, all these retirements. So there's a lot of churn that's, ha that's happening. I think that's contributed to some of the, the, uh, the historically low uh, unemployment numbers that we've seen. If I can use a phrase uh, you're not allowed to use in economics, is this time different in the sense that it was so hard for companies to hire coming out of the pandemic that this time they're going to hoard labor and we may not see the kind of uh, unemployment rates that you forecast? Well, I am hearing that businesses are saying we don't want to let some of our best people go because uh, it may be very difficult to get them back. I am definitely hearing that, but I'm mindful for how you started this. Every time uh, there's a declaration that this time is totally different, it winds up not being totally different. So, so we're going to just keep our eyes open, uh, my eyes open and our team. We're going to be out there really trying to understand where things stand. I do think and the pandemic is triggering uh, some real structural changes. That it's going to take a while for us to understand those things. Uh, but 
we're going to have to understand those before I'll be willing to make any declaration that you know the old laws of labor markets don't apply. I want to follow up on that in a second, but first let me ask you about banks because there's been a lot of talk about that. Banks always tighten credit standards when the Fed is raising interest rates and loan demand always falls. So the real question is, are you seeing anything or do you anticipate anything that would be worse than normal in terms of credit? Um, that's a good question. So, look, as you noted, when we raise interest rates at the Federal Reserve, we expect loan conditions and lending conditions to tighten. That has happened. Uh, that I usually don't want it to happen as in a, such as volatile a way as it has with the Silicon Valley Bank uh, challenge and, and other things. Uh, but a lot of this is going as, as expected, as I expected it would. Uh, now the question is, is it going to accelerate? Is it going to stay where it is or is it going to slow down? Uh, the bankers that I talk to tell me that you know the rise of liquidity risk as something that's really on their radar screen has has caused them to want to be more conservative in terms of um, their their willingness and desire to lend. Uh, but I'm not hearing right now that they've gone into a hyper mode where we really have something that I would characterize as a credit crunch. We're not there today, and I'll be monitoring to see if we get closer to something like that. Now, the Fed has sketched out a sort of backward-looking monetary policy framework and that you're looking at inflation numbers for, quote, a clear and convincing evidence that the price level is coming down. Is it time to switch to a more forward-looking uh, kind of policy to find indicators that tell you what's going to happen rather than what has? Well, I would say we've always done both, right? So we definitely want to see what the official numbers are saying. But through our regional e economic information network, we are talking to businesses all the time. Through our surveys, you know, we have a pretty robust survey shop, and we're talking to businesses, uh, and we get feedback from businesses in, in those cases. And some of the questions we ask are, as you're setting wages moving forward, are you doing that as a catch-up because your workers feel like they're falling behind, or are you doing that because you think that pricing is going to be where you need to do that? Uh, today, what businesses are telling us is that they're in catch-up mode. Their employees know that they've been their, their wages have fallen behind inflation, and to keep them, they feel like they've got to allow that catch-up to happen. Uh, but we are also, and, and that to me, that's a very positive thing because it says it's reactive and not proactive. And as long as we stay in that uh, environment, I think the, the probability that we get inflation to continue to recede is, is very positive. Now, you've said, and most of your colleagues have said, that you anticipate keeping rates where they are, at least through the end of this year, possibly into next year. Is there any circumstance under which you think you would change that view if inflation came down quickly or if the economy uh, sort of fell apart? Well, of those two scenarios, I would be more inclined to change if inflation came down quickly. Look, inflation is high, it's too high, we've got to get this back to our 2% target. If we do not do that, inflation expectations change, and you might get into this cycle where it becomes very, very difficult to get back down to a reasonable level. And that has all kinds of bad implications for families, for investment, for businesses, and for, for the country. So we've got to get that under control. Um, the, the scenario for me of a, of a rate cut, which I don't think is what's going to happen, is that inflation really starts to come down robustly through the course of this year. You know, my models uh, and my team and my outlook really uh, tell me that we're, I'm expecting to be in the high, th the mid to high threes by the end of this year, and that's still quite a ways from 2%. Uh, 
if I was wrong and inflation was much lower than that, then there would be a conversation on it. But I think right now, if you had to tip the scales, the next move is going to be an increase or a cut. It's pretty heavily weighted to the increase for me at, at the current moment. All right, I have a left field question for you because this just came up in the last 24 to 48 hours. The state of Florida banning the use of a central bank digital currency <laughs> as the monetary overseer for the state of Florida from your Atlanta office. Does that make any sense to you? I have not been any, in any conversations to know what's motivated that. You know, we at the Federal Reserve have, have done some study of this. We had a white paper, lots of questions. It's something we're mulling. I don't think something like that is imminent, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe they know something I don't, but uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really having a lot of conversation on that. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.